Chapter Twenty Four of Stories of Symphonic Music. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Stories of Symphonic Music by Lawrence Gilman. Chapter Twenty Four. Mendelssohn. Felix Mendelssohn Bartholdi, born in Hamburg, February three, eighteen o nine, died in Leipzig, November four, eighteen forty seven. Overture: A Midsummer Night's Dream opus twenty one mendelssohn knowing shakespeare through german translations by schlegel and tieck wrote in eighteen twenty six he was then seventeen years old his overture to a midsummer night's dream the music was begun july seventh and finished august sixth it was first written as a piano duet and afterwards scored for orchestra mendelssohn's incidental music to shakespeare's play was not composed until seventeen years later the following comments by mr frederick Niecks furnish an excellent indication of the significance of the overture before our mind's eye he writes are called up oberon and titania as they meet in grove or green by fountain clear or spangled starlight sheen the elves who when their king and queen quarrel creep into acorn cups peas blossom cobweb moth and mustard seed the knavish sprite puck alias robin goodfellow who delights in playing merry pranks but there are other things in the overture than fairies there are duke theseus and his betrothed queen hippolyta and their train the two pairs of lovers lysander and hermia demetrius and helena and those hempen homespuns the athenian tradesmen quince snug bottom flute snout and starveling but let us see where the different dramatis personae are to be found in the overture the sustained chords of the wind instruments which begin the work are the magic formula that opens to us the realm of fairyland the busy tripping part of the first subject violins and violas tells us of the fairies the broader and dignified part of duke theseus and his following the passionate first part of the second subject at first woodwind then strings later the full orchestra of the romantic lovers and the clownish second part of the tradesman the braying reminding us of bottom's transformation into an ass the development is full of the vivacious bustle and play and fun of the elves the pianissimo passage towards the end signifies the elves blessing on the house of the duke in conclusion we have once more the magic formula the four sustained chords of the opening which now dissolves the dream it had before conjured up Overture, Fingal's Cave, or The Hebrides, Opus 26. Footnote. There is no general agreement as to the title of this overture. Mendelssohn himself referred to it as The Hebrides, again as The Solitary Island. The first published score was entitled Fingal's Cave, Die Fingale Hola. Yet the parts for the players bore the title The Hebrides, Die Hebriden it was called the isles of fingal when it was first performed in london may fourteenth eighteen thirty two and footnote mendelssohn visiting the hebrides in eighteen twenty nine was deeply impressed with what he saw in order to make you realize he says in a letter written august seventh eighteen twenty nine how extraordinarily the hebrides affected me the following came into my mind there then follows in notation a passage from the overture later in the month he wrote from glasgow how much lies between then and now staffa scenery travels people klingerman 
the friend who accompanied him has described it all and you will excuse a short note especially as what i can best tell you is contained in the above music in september he wrote from london the hebrides story builds itself up gradually and early in the following year january twenty one eighteen thirty two he wrote from paris i cannot bring the hebrides to a hearing here because i do not regard it as finished in the form in which i originally wrote it the first version of the overture was finished late in eighteen thirty the middle portion is very stupid and the whole working out smells more of counterpoint than of blubber seagulls and saltfish his friend Klingerman wrote as follows of the impressions produced by fingal's cave we were put out in boats and climbed the hissing sea close beside us over the pillar stumps to the celebrated fingal's cave a greener roar of water surely never rushed into a stranger cavern comparable on account of the many pillars to the inside of an immense organ black and resounding lying there absolutely purposeless in its utter loneliness the wide grey sea within and without it has been said of the music of this overture that in hearing it you will think of yourself in a ship gliding over rocking waves about you a vast expanse of sea and sky light breezes blowing the romantic stories of the past colouring the sights that one has seen wagner on the strength of this work praised the composer as a landscape painter of the first order overture be calmed at sea and prosperous voyage opus twenty seven mendelssohn's Mierestilla and glückliche fahrt was written in illustration of two short and contrasted poems by goethe entitled Mierestilla and glückliche fahrt published in seventeen ninety six footnote as it has been pointed out by others the usual translation of this title calm sea and prosperous voyage does violence to the significance of the german original becalmed at sea or sea calm conveys more faithfully the meaning of the first part of the title and suggests the sharp and dramatic contrast intended by goethe in his two poems and footnote they have been translated into english prose as follows becalmed at sea a profound stillness rules in the water the ocean rests motionless and the anxious mariner looks on a smooth sea round about him no breeze in any quarter fearful quiet of death over the monstrous waste no billow stirs prosperous voyage the fog has lifted the sky is clear and the wind-god looses the hesitant band the winds sue the mariner looks alive haste haste the billows divide the far-off grows near already i see the land the overture was composed in eighteen twenty eight and revised five years later the introduction adagio pictures the ominous calm the death-like quiet of the waters the vast and motionless expanse of windless sea the flute-calls which end this first section have been interpreted as the cry of some solitary seabird as whistling for the wind as a portrayal of dead silence and solitude then follows molto allegro vivace the picture of the sudden and inspiriting change which comes with the springing up of the breeze the clearing of the sky the joyous resumption of the voyage the exhilarated spirits of the mariners the conclusion suggests the happy arrival in port the salutes the dropping of the anchor overture to the legend of the lovely melusina opus thirty two we know on the testimony of mendelssohn himself that this overture based on the ancient legend of the fair being who was part woman and part fish 
was suggested to the composer by an opera on the subject which he saw at berlin in eighteen thirty three under date of april seventh eighteen thirty four he wrote to his sister fanny you ask me which legend you are to read how many then are there and how many then do i know and do you not know the story of the lovely melusina or have you really never heard of the beautiful fish i have composed this overture to an opera by konraden kreutzer melusina libretto by franz grillparzer music by kreutzer produced at berlin february twenty seventh eighteen thirty three which i heard last year about this time at the kennigstadt theatre hannel the singer amalia hannel who took the part of melusina was very charming especially in one scene where she presents herself as a mermaid and dresses her hair it was then that i conceived the idea of writing an overture i took what pleased me of the subject and that is precisely what coincides with the legend in short the overture came into the world and this is its family history the overture zum märchen von der schönen melusina was finished november fourteenth eighteen thirty three schumann wrote of it as follows in the neue zeitschrift für musik after a performance in leipzig to understand it no one needs to read the long-spun although richly imaginative tale of tieck it is enough to know that the charming melusina was violently in love with the handsome knight lusignan and married him upon his promising that certain days in the year he would leave her alone one day the truth breaks upon lusignan that melusina is a mermaid half fish half woman the material is variously worked up in words as in tones but one must not hear any more than in the overture to shakespeare's midsummer night's dream wish to trace so coarse an historical thread all through always conceiving his subject poetically mendelssohn here portrays only the characters of the man and the woman of the proud knightly lusignan and the enticing yielding melusina but it is as if the watery waves came up amid their embraces and overwhelmed and parted them again and this revives in every listener those pleasant images by which the youthful fancy loves to linger those fables of the life deep down beneath the watery abyss full of shooting fishes with golden scales of pearls in open shells of buried treasures which the sea has snatched from men of emerald castles towering one above another etc this it seems to us is what distinguishes this overture from the earlier ones that it narrates these kind sick of things quite in the manner of a story and does not experience them hence at first sight the surface appears somewhat cold dumb but what a life and interweaving there is down below is more clearly expressed through music than through words for which reason the overture we confess is far better than this description of it it has been said that the music illustrates the loveliness and the loving nature of melusina the hardness of her fate and the anxiety caused by it the waving motion the flowing theme heard at the beginning is indicative of her grace and at the same time reminds us of the element with which she was connected a more energetic theme is said to suggest melusina's knightly consort a third theme in the violins is a love motif later there is a return fortissimo of the energetic knightly theme of the beginning there is a development of these themes and near the end we may recognize melusina's cries on being discovered by her husband the rest is like the vanishing of a beautiful reality into a beautiful memory symphony number no. three scotch opus fifty six one andante con moto 
allegro un poco agitato two vivaci non troppo three adagio four allegro vivacissimo allegro maestoso assai to mendelssohn's scotch visit in the summer of eighteen twenty nine may be traced this third symphony in a minor as well as the fingal's cave hebrides overture see page two hundred to two hundred and two in a letter dated july thirty eighteen twenty nine he wrote from edinburgh we went in the deep twilight to the palace of holyrood where queen mary lived and loved there is a little room to be seen there with a winding staircase leading up to it this the murderers ascended and finding rizzio drew him out about three chambers away is a small corner where they killed him the chapel is roofless grass and ivy grow abundantly in it and before the altar now in ruins mary was crowned queen of scotland footnote mendelssohn was a better musician than historian End footnote. everything about is broken and mouldering and the bright sky shines in i believe i found to-day in that old chapel the beginning of my scotch symphony the symphony was planned in eighteen thirty one in a letter written from rome in march of that year he says from april fifteenth to may fifteenth is the heyday of the year in italy is it to be wondered at that i cannot call up the misty scotch mood the work was not completed until more than a decade later january twenty eighteen forty two the first movement has been said to record the sombre impressions made upon the composer by his visit to holyrood the second movement has been described as a picture of pastoral nature characterized by a continuous flow of rural gaiety and as the most wonderful compound of health and life heath and moor blowing wind screaming eagles bagpipes fluttering tartans and elastic steps of racing highlanders all rounded off and brought into one perfect picture the third movement adagio has been characterized as a reverie in which the composer meditates upon the ancient state and grandeur of the country its majestic strains might almost have been swept from ossian's harp in the last movement the romantic sentiment disappears in its place we have the heroic expressed with astonishing force and exuberant spirit this movement has also been called the gathering of the clans symphony number no. four italian opus ninety one allegro vivace two andante con moto three con moto marato four saltarello presto this symphony was begun during mendelssohn's sojourn in italy eighteen thirty to thirty one it was finished in march eighteen thirty three the following commentary by ambrose on the characteristics of the different movements is as sound and as interesting as any that italian clearness of outline that cheerful ingenuous enjoyment of abounding life without dreamlike reflection is a fundamental feature of the a major symphony if it were not too hazardous one might say that there sounds in mendelssohn's symphony not indeed the impression of rome where according to jean paul's expression the spirits of heroes artists and saints gaze on man seriously admonishing him but rather the local tone of the environs of monte cavo in the adjacent albanian chain of mountains indeed we may readily imagine the youth mendelssohn looking out let us say from nemi or Genzano, across the rounded mirror of the sea upon the splendid foliage of the wooded cliffs of the coast and how the motif of the first movement loudly exulting in the full joy of life passes through his soul so that he has to sing it aloud the andante generally known as the pilgrim's march has been thought by some to be in the church style 
the cowl according to an old proverb does not make the monk and just as little does a continuous contrapuntal bass make a piece of music into a contrapuntally conceived one we might perhaps say more appropriately that the andante tells a romance of the olden time as it were in the style of chronicles only the poet's eye occasionally betrays itself sadly smiling being once in the albanian mountains with our fancy perhaps we now recall the picturesque castle embattlements of grotoferata and the old devotional stations with the solemn mosaic pictures of saints upon a gold ground in the third movement the person of the tone poet advances more into the foreground it is the purest feeling of well-being of calm happy enjoyment that emanates from the gentle movement of this melody as if reciting to itself Rukert's glorious words die erd ist schön genug den himmel zu erwarten den himmel zu vergessen nicht schön genug ihr garten the earth is fair enough to make us hope for heaven her garden not so fair that heaven is lost to mind and these horns in the trio are they not as if in the midst of the italian paradise a truly german yearning comes over him for the dear light green of the woods of his home but the finale the saltarello draws us into the midst of the gay swirl of southern life footnote saltarello an italian dance of marked rhythmical character it has been described as a duet dance of a skipping nature the woman always holds her apron and performs graceful evolutions in the style of the tarantella the couple move in a semicircle and the dance becomes faster and faster as it progresses accompanied by many beautiful motions of the arms this is a very ancient dance and has quite a unique character we find that it is especially performed by gardeners and vintners End footnote and the almost melancholy ritardando towards the close does it not remind us like a sigh of the tone poet that amid all the magnificence he is after all but a stranger a wanderer that comes and goes like berlioz's herald this symphony is therefore a souvenir of italian travel a piece of italy that the tone poet has brought away with him mendelssohn witnessed the carnival at rome and this last movement was doubtless the result of his impressions which he recorded in a letter written from rome february eighth eighteen thirty one on saturday all the world went to the capital to witness the form of the jews supplications to be suffered to remain in the sacred city for another year a request which is refused at the foot of the hill but after repeated entreaties granted on the summit and the ghetto is assigned to them it was a tiresome affair we waited two hours and after all understood the oration of the jews as little as the answer of the christians i came down again in very bad humour and thought that the carnival had begun rather unpropitiously so i arrived in the corso and was driving along thinking no evil when i was suddenly assailed by a shower of sugar comfits i looked up they had been flung by some young ladies whom i had seen occasionally at balls but scarcely knew and when in my embarrassment i took off my hat to bow to them the pelting began in right earnest their carriage drove on and in the next was miss t a delicate young englishwoman i tried to bow to her but she pelted me too so i became quite desperate and clutching the confetti i flung them back bravely there were swarms of my acquaintances and my blue coat was soon as white as that of a miller the bees were standing on a balcony flinging confetti like hail at my head and thus pelting and pelted amid a thousand jests and jeers and the most extravagant masks the day ended with races End of section twenty four.